Well, good evening. Thank you for coming. It's a joy to see you. It's a joy to be able to share God's Word with you tonight. If you have a Bible, would you open your Bible to Psalm 22? Psalm 22. We're going to read Psalm 22, verses 1 through 18. If you are able, can I ask you please to to stand for the reading of God's word? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make their mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Please pray with me. Father, we bow before your word. And Father, on this day, we think of the amazing love displayed as you gave your son to be crushed for sin. Father, thank you for a love that is divine and yet mysterious, which we could never understand. Father, be glorified tonight as we think on the death of our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated.
Well, on any given day in America, you can turn on the news and be affected by global issues, which, if meditated upon long enough, can lead you to panic. At least it does me. Whether it's rogue nations looking to develop a nuclear weapon and have they developed the technology yet? Or have the terrorists developed yet another plot and are they really as prolific as the media says they are? Or is the financial bubble ready to burst? And if it does, what will we do? Is our national debt ever going to be removed? Those kind of global issues also compiled upon already mounting issues perhaps in your life, like will I have enough to retire? Will my kids be raised in such a way that they will come to know Christ? If you're a single, will I ever be married? Will I ever be over the regret of mistakes in my life? Will I ever find the career I want? Things like that come together, which in life tend to capture our focus and capture our attention. And if we're not careful, they can wrestle us to the ground. I call them the what-ifs, the what-ifs of life. They want to invade our thinking and they want to make us follow them. These truths can be weeds that choke out the main truths. Some of the truths of Scripture are so important that historically the church made a day or a season to remember those truths. And today, of course, is one of those days. Today is Good Friday. So historically, the church has taken time to think on the death of Christ. Now, there are numerous scriptures that we could have picked from to talk about the death of Christ. And I have chosen Psalm 22. But it's interesting, we're talking about an event that took place nearly 2,000 years ago that's as significant today as that day. It's also something that's taken place in Scripture throughout Scripture. As we look at Psalm 22, I think it points out a number of things, but the first thing I want to say is this. The death of Christ is not something that was just brought in by the New Testament. It's something that's throughout the Scriptures. It's not simply an afterthought. The death of Christ is something that was predicated throughout. As we read through Psalm 22, if you'll look at verse 8, it says this, He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. That's the same thing that the chief priests and the scribes said as they looked at Jesus on the cross and they mocked him. Verse 18 of 22. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. At the crucifixion, the Roman soldiers did that with the clothes of Jesus. In other places in Scripture, we find as well the death of Christ predicated. We don't have time to go there, but Genesis 22 talks about Abraham. Many of you know the story. He went to sacrifice his son. Though it has significant meaning to the readers in those days, it also was something placed in Scripture to talk about the death of Christ. Of course, God stayed Abraham's hand, and he did not sacrifice his son. 
unlike God, who did not stay his hand, but sacrificed his son. Throughout the book of Leviticus, you see temple sacrifices, where they were sacrificing pigeons and doves and other animals. And of course, the perfect and spotless lamb. If you think of the temple sacrifices, you need to be thinking about a place where there was continuous bloodshed taking place because they were continuously killing animals for the sins of the world again and again and again. It was never sufficient. But again, it was something that predicated the coming death of the Messiah. If you read in Numbers 20, you read about the time when Moses smote the rock and water came out. Again, another picture of the fact that Christ would be smitten And from him, life would come. So the suffering of Christ is a major theme. It's this massive theme woven together brilliantly throughout the scriptures. And it's something that we ought allow and make forefront and central in our minds. It ought to be something that captures our attention. Does that for you. Does it capture? Is it central on a regular basis? The second point I want to make is this. And just like we sang about a little while ago, alas, and did my Savior bleed, the death of Christ is very costly. The death of Christ is very costly. The death of Christ is costly because it meant... He was forsaken by God. The Son of God forsaken by God. And of course, in in chapter 22, what's most noticeable about this chapter, if you look at verse 1, is the cry. In the first verse of chapter 22, we read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you read that in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, Jesus says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some would say that the pain and agony of crucifixion was the most horrific form of execution ever practiced. So horrific that the Roman practice of it eventually stopped because it was said that it was too inhumane. But notwithstanding, I think Scripture teaches that the spiritual pain of the crucifixion far outweighed the physical pain. Because at that moment, theologians teach, on the cross, when Christ hung there, all of the sin of the world was placed upon him. And all of the wrath of God for that sin was placed upon him. And the Father, holy and just, who could not look on sin, turned his face away. And his wrath was poured out in full measure. At that moment, Christ took upon himself the punishment for every sin for all who would believe in him for all who would believe in him. God placed on the Savior his wrath that we could go free. 
that we could be forgiven. Jesus took the sin and the punishment for sin upon himself for all who would believe. So the cost of sin was the forsaking of the Son of God. Scripture teaches, and we just read here, that on the cross he screamed, and he screamed loud. Screaming loud was be natural. Because anybody withstanding the wrath of God would scream loud. Even the Son of God. Nobody can withstand the wrath of God. As Jesus took it upon himself, he absorbed that punishment so that those who believe in him would never have to. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, this is the distilled, amazing good news of the gospel. Christ took upon himself God made him sin. God made him grotesque so that we might be made beautiful by his righteousness. Is that not amazing? Is that not mysterious? Amazing love. The truth is, we receive credit for his righteousness through faith in him. What good news! When you're tempted to drift from thinking of the love of God, I encourage you to think about the death of Christ. It stands as an emblem. It stands as the truth. A number of weeks ago, Gene used a quote. I think it was from R.C. Sproul who said this. Do you think more about what you do to be accepted or what Christ has done? but it can be summarized in do or done. Do you think more about what you need to do to be accepted and blessed by God or what he has done? There's only one way we'll ever be accepted and receive favor from God. That's because of what he has done, never what we do. And it's given as a free gift. Is that not good news? Amen. If you're here today and you're wondering about the death of Christ, and you're not sure about all this Good Friday stuff and who this Jesus is, and you wouldn't say that you necessarily have a relationship by faith with him, I'd want to encourage you to think of the image of what you see and hear through what we sing, of a shepherd who will die for his sheep, about the love that comes with that, but also to consider this as a warning Because apart from faith in Christ, you do not have one who will take the wrath for you. And you will have to absorb that yourself. And no man can. As we go through our Good Friday service, I want to encourage us. Please see the death of Christ as an immense testimony of the love of God As we look at the cross, think of a father nailing his son to the cross that we 
could be forgiven. It stands as a testimony of his love. He didn't hold back anything to rescue his people for those who would believe in him. For us who believe, it stands forever as a testimony, never to be separated from God again. Never. Nothing can separate us from the love of God because of his rescue. Is that not good news that we celebrate? When my children were younger, I used to put them to sleep at night when the exchanges were different and we'd talk about the end of the day. But this one particular night sticks in my mind. As we were lying there, one of my daughters said to me, Daddy, if I got lost in the woods, would you come and find me? I said, yes, honey, I would come and find you. Daddy, if I was ever lost at sea, like a thousand miles away, would you come and find me? And I said, oh, honey, I would cross the sea and I would come and find you. Daddy, if I was ever captured and you had to get shot and get your arm cut off to come and rescue me, would you do that? I said, honey, I would do whatever it would take to come and rescue you. I love you too, Dad. (laughs) Now, in no way can that compare to the rescue that God had for his people. But he gave his son. He absorbed the wrath of God that we could receive eternal life through forgiveness in Christ and through faith in him. He was forsaken so that we never would be He was brought low so that we could be made very high. We do well to keep that at the forefront. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for an amazing love that if we had all eternity, we still could not comprehend. But Father, we desire to worship We desire to praise and we desire to give thanks and relish in that love. In his name we pray. Amen.